Hi there, Leah Lem here with a quick note about the Native Lights podcast feed and what you can expect from Minnesota Native News in the next few months. We are hosting COVID-19 community conversations again on this channel, but unlike last time where we stopped doing Native Lights for a while, Cole and I have decided we're going to keep sharing those conversations as well. So on this feed, you can expect the COVID-19 community conversation and an episode of Native Lights each week for the next few months. So please enjoy. This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations with host Leah Lamb. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. Anine, hello, I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech and thank you for joining me for today's conversation, exploring how Indian country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic. Today on the show, we'll hear how two visionaries are looking forward in their respective fields. Rihanna Yazi is a theater artist and filmmaker. She's a playwright and founded New Native Theater 12 years ago. We'll talk about New Native Theater's unique operations and what theater may look like in the near future. And later, I share my conversation with Marissa Cummings. Marissa is the president and CEO of the Minnesota Indian Women's Resource Center in Minneapolis. And among their great work supporting Native women and families, Marissa tells me about how the nonprofit is looking towards the future. Today, I'm going to get started right away sharing these conversations. So up first, my conversation with Rihanna Yazi. Can you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Rihanna Yazi, and I'm a theater artist, and I'm also a filmmaker. <laughs> Great. And what projects are you working on right now? Well, I am still putting the finishing touches on my very first feature film. It's called A Winter Love, and it's this uh, inner tribal love story about a Navajo and a Lakota who fall in love in the freezing cold Minneapolis winter. <laughs> So we get to see some um, some some of the intricate ways that uh, that native love unfolds, and then also just what it's like being a native artist in the Twin Cities. And, um, and then, of course, you know, I run a theater company called New Native Theater, and uh, it's twelve year old American Indian theater company, and we are also um, getting ready to do possible productions in the summertime, like outdoors and um, working with some really uh, cool artists that we um, really love and respect. What are you thinking? What's what's kicking around in uh, your brain and the those of uh, the other folks at New Native Theater? Yeah, well, first of all, we're super concerned about making sure the audience is safe. Mm-hmm. And that's because uh, the majority of our audiences uh, are native. And last night I was just looking at some statistics for the state of Minnesota, how native people have the highest, um, rates of getting COVID and also have a much higher rate of being hospitalized if they get it. And, um, so we're super, super concerned about that. And then of course, um, I am Navajo and, you know, the, the way that COVID has affected Navajo nation, 
also is a huge uh, consideration just to, you know, my, my life experience and, um, you know, just the, the loss that that's happened. So when we think about producing plays, we are just thinking about safety mm-hmm. and that might mean like much, much smaller audiences mm-hmm. and maybe more performances. So like the possibility of coming to people's bubbles and performing for them um, at a safe distance outside and uh, just doing that a lot or, you know, just sort of finding a bigger space with good amplification. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Are you thinking like, what is it, like garden party <laughs> performances or like outdoor uh, deck performances or actually like at a park or maybe, amphitheaters? Yeah, I think maybe a combination of both. Um, there's some really cool theaters in town that do like driveway theater performances. Mm-hmm. Like you can reserve the show and they've been doing this for years. Like you can reserve the show and they'll come to your driveway and perform Um Usually it's like a bunch of people in your neighborhood will come and uh, watch the show as well. But I don't know, we're just thinking of like different ways. And then also just really thinking about like food sovereignty and the other ways that COVID has affected the native community. Like, like for instance, kids, um, there's a lot of, lot of kids who depended on lunch at school every day. And so like food is all of a sudden different in how it's accessible in the ways that it used to be pre-COVID days. So we're thinking a lot about food and like, all right, how do we feed our audiences? And not only just like bring a show and opportunity to come together and celebrate, but, but also like, Hey, is there other, other vital needs that we could also attend to in a, in a way that's, that's cool and healthful and, celebratory to kind of offset everything we've experienced as um you know just as as people this whole year yeah well you got me thinking now about you know how they have um drive-in theaters Hmm. oh yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) what about a drive-in theater like a you know live theater (laughs) yeah uh that would be that would be super cool. Have you seen those concerts in in Europe where everyone's got their own little cube oh. and they're all spaced six feet apart? Um, no, like <laughs> have your own box seats. Folks come up to you and ask you what you want to drink, <laughs> yeah. but you've got your own little box there. And I I don't know. I wonder if like it's a society that's now catering to introverts and. It'll be the most utopian introvert society ever. <laughs> well, yeah. And, you know, I always love going to live performances, but always found them to be way too late at night or... Or sticky under your feet feeling. Sticky under the feet performances. Or um, I, I'm sure a lot of people experience this too, but unwanted oh. uh, interactions, unwanted advances. Mm-hmm. which can be really problematic too, but maybe there's just ways that we can, you know, kind of keep that distance and, you know, the distance between me and the next person will be wider and thus more consent to yeah. come into and my bubble. 
Right. More consent, more personal respect for everybody's space, mm-hmm. which in itself is an incredibly indigenous concept mm-hmm. is the, the, um, incredible respect for an individual to take care of their body in whatever manner they want and to not, uh, to not overzealously come into another person's space. And I think, yeah, it, it's a very, it's a very indigenous concept. Um, it's like um, holding the community as, as the main focus, but at the same time, oh, creating so much space for the individual's uh, sense of freedom and their own personal rights is a beautiful alchemy. I think we as indigenous people uh, have, have discovered over the time immemorial that, (laughs) you know, as we've learned like, ah, what is the best way to relate to people? So that would be fantastic to bring that back (laughs) in full force. (laughs) You know, what's that way to, as a community, respect one another um, for you know all the reasons, including health, yeah, um, for the safety of everybody and right. You know, put, putting me putting your needs not necessarily ahead of mine, but like alongside my own. Yeah, needs. considering like being considerate of other that other people have needs and and integrating that into your experience. Yeah. Mm. It's, it seems like, seems like a no brainer, but maybe, you know, I've also just heard a lot of like elders and spiritual people talk about this time, how like it's a nice reset. um, And it's an opportunity to become what we're meant to be and to take the time to heal things that we haven't had time because of the hustle of bustle, hustle and bustle of life, that you don't have time to just stop and reflect and be with your own, uh, be with yourself and to deal with your history and your health in general. We're not allowed to like pause and reflect. And it's a great opportunity for us to do that. Yes, pausing and reflecting. Would you like to? reflect on new native theater and its unique way of operating? So the thing about native community, because the majority of us and the majority of native folks in my experience that do theater didn't learn it the way that everyone else learns theater, like going through theater camp, you know, having a plethora of experiences on stage as a youth, as a teenager, and then going into college and buying into the whole system, learning about rehearsal and learning about the show must go on and all of that sort of stuff. Most of the Native folks at New Native Theater um, are discovering theater and they're, they're already adults. They hadn't really done theater. Maybe they did one show in high school and they were like, meh. despite the fact that like they're very performative, very creative, but they just didn't like the form. So, so in that way, the whole, the whole form of theater in a week, in a way was already rejected by the, just the way that native people are. And so, so at new native theater, I couldn't just say, all right, you guys, this is our rehearsal schedule and everyone has to conform because no one would have ever showed up. No one would have added a second full-time job to their already 
full-time jobs and their full-time life. So the difference at New Native Theater is families are always welcome in the rehearsal space. We always had a we always have a reasonable rehearsal amount of rehearsal time, like sometimes one to to two hours to four hours, depending on what the circumstance is. A lot of times if someone had children and they brought them to rehearsal, more times than not, we found a place for the children to be in the show and we would pay the children. And another thing that's different about New Native Theater is since day one, we always paid everybody for everything they did. Whereas in normal theater, you actually never get paid for anything until you get like a quote unquote union job or whatever, you know, what, because there's so, there's so much that's expected that you do for free for theater. And I just don't, I just don't see like, how can you put so much work into something and at least not get gas money or at least not get dinner that night. Right. So, so that's another way we've been, we've been doing that. And again, we've never, we've never really conformed to these um, insane hours that it takes to put a show together. Everyone's always been welcome in the space. You don't have to have all of this training or try really hard to keep there from being hierarchies in the space, you know, and so so just trying to keep everything very equitable in the space as as native folks, you know, always trying to give everybody the same amount of money uh, because everybody is clearing their schedules and putting in a lot of work in the same ways. And then also I, the show must go on. It's never actually been my ethic. I have been more than happy to cancel something last second. Yeah. <laughs> because I don't see, I, you know, theater, I, I love it. It is my, it is like my true love, but I do know that we are not brain surgeons. We are not finding the vaccine. So if we miss a day, it's going to be fine. <laughs> I just don't understand the the way that urgency and perfectionism around theater has just created so much mental health issues in the general theater population. You know, just knowing the stuff we already go through as Native people, I don't think it's worth it, you know, to try and put them through this whole um, theater mindset, you know, um, to guilt them around, you've got to put the show on. At the end of the day, as Native people doing this work, are we coming away from it better than we started? Then yes. But if this show is hurting us, and, and believe me, it happens in the American theater all the time. You will you will be worse after you did a show. Um, whereas that I never want that to be the case with Native community. I think you should always be better after you do a show. And I think of that for our audience too. Like I want to leave the audience in a better place than we found them. Miigwech Rihanna Yazi. Rihanna Yazi is a playwright, theater artist, filmmaker, and founder of New Native Theater. 
You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Leah Lem. We just heard from theater artist and filmmaker Rian Yazi. And next, Marissa Cummings is the president and CEO of the Minnesota Indian Women's Resource Center. The MIWRC is a nonprofit organization committed to traditional ways of being and support of Native women and families. The MIWRC was founded in 1984 and is located in the Phillips neighborhood of Minneapolis. Here's our conversation. Marissa, could you please introduce yourself and where are you from? Yes. Marissa Cummings. The Minnesota Indian Women's Resource Center. Um, so my name is uh, Mia Kanda. That is my Maha name that was given to me by my great grandmother um, on my fourth day. And my English name is Marissa Cummings. And um, I belong to the Buffalo Tail Clan of the Sky People. And I'm Omaha or Omaha. And um, I am the CEO of the Minnesota Indian Women's Resource Center. I'm from, um, I was born in Winnebago, Nebraska, at the Indian Health Service Hospital and raised in Sioux City, Iowa. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining me for this conversation about the Minnesota Indian Women's Resource Center. Can you give me an overview of the MIWRC and who the community is there? Yeah, so um, the Minnesota Indian Women's Resource Center is an agency that provides a wide array of services to the community, um, the Native community here in the corridor on the south side of Minneapolis, and also all of the uh, Twin Cities area and beyond. Um, We provide services that range from street outreach, sexual sexual assault advocacy, housing services, um, a housing navigator, all the way to um, Section 8 housing here in our physical building, and also programming um, that is culturally based and culturally relevant. So you came into your role at the MIWRC this, this past summer right? In August? Yes, Uh, August 1st. Yeah. Can you tell me about starting the position at that time and what was perhaps motivating to you about joining the MIWRC? Yeah. So I was um, actually the director of um, Native Student Services at the University of South Dakota and um, really enjoyed my position there. I loved working with students. Um, They're just, these young people are so incredible. And um, I saw the job that was posted and I was like, oh, I don't know. Um, But as I looked more into it, it really, um, it really centers around the work that I've done just in general in my life, which is centered around um, growing Native women, helping them heal and advocacy for um, our basic human rights. And so it just really fit into me and who I am as a person. And then the move is something that I had actually talked to um, my partner about for some time. We had talked about Minneapolis or Omaha being places that we would relocate to eventually. And so it um, it just kind of worked out. Uh, Starting in August 1st during the pandemic was definitely challenging. 
but also amazing. So it allowed us to do a lot of um, visioning work with the board and I have an incredible board. So the visioning really allowed us to decide what type of organization that will be moving forward and how we can provide these direct services and programming uh, in a way that is holistic, a wraparound approach, and that we are serving so many people, you know, in this area and beyond, because now we're introduced to a virtual world. So I try and think about, um, not introduced, but I guess we really engaged in this virtual world and this virtual world of programming. So for instance, we're doing um, with Heartberry, um, we've done a program on split toe moccasins. And that's something virtual that can be done no matter where you live. Um, and that type of programming is really important to me personally, because I feel that we need to grow our, our culture and our skill set and share that knowledge to grow as individuals and, and Native women and, and encourage our families, right? We need to be able to dress our babies in their original uh, clothing. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I have two questions that come from that. I'm going to ask a bit more about Heartberry and the moccasins. Can you tell me a bit about Heartberry and what you're doing with Sarah Egerton House, I assume, and um, the, the folks at the RC? A bit more about that. We definitely love Sarah. I love a lot of her work and um, we were really excited to work with her. But we were able to, to teach 15 people how to make these split toe moccasins, which are original to the both Dakota and Anishinaabe people in this area. In addition, um, we've had others. Um, we did a session with uh, Faith Spotted Eagle and her daughter and Brooke, and they talked about um, basically rematriation and returning to our women's, like our, our women's, I'm trying to think of the word that, that we use, like our women's circles, basically, um, and how we can regrow our strength through those uh, traditional ceremonial practices. So knowing who we are as uh, Indigenous women, knowing our practices strengthens us. Uh, knowing who we are strengthens us. And that provides, you know, a framework of security in getting to know other women that feel the same way. So... Great, thanks. And you talked about visioning mm -hmm. uh, as you came into the organization. And how did visioning happen in a pandemic? Yeah, it was um, it was definitely more challenging, right? Because you can't have these in-person meetings with larger groups. Um, we couldn't have, you know, the way that you would frame things in a non-pandemic setting would be more community-based. But we had to, to really be careful of that. We're starting to open up now. We have um, our, our staff is returning to the office space next week. We have been working from home. So um, we're, we're starting to do that. Um, I worked a lot with the board on what type of agency, especially the, predominantly the Native women on our board. Um, Nicole Matthews, Jackie Crochu, um, uh, Paulette Bucall. And we, we really talked about what type of services we wanted to offer. And really, it centers around healing, healing community, healing individuals, and, you know, providing those services in a culturally specific way. And we are a culturally specific direct service provider. So that is really important. And then also to acknowledge um, the differences in culture, right? So we all have, as Indigenous people, basic practices that are universal, and so focusing on those baseline practices that are universal allows us to, um, to navigate through different um, cultures within our community. 
And then trying to offer those culturally specific resources as well to people who, who want that. So. And Marissa, what are some encouraging things you've seen at the MIWRC? We have staff that has a big heart. Um, you know, a lot of our, our staff are not in this um, for any other reason than to help the community. So that desire and that um, that characteristic that they have to be intentional and to help, you know, to give up themselves to help our people is a really beautiful thing. That is the first thing that I noticed is that we have um, we have some really good people here that want to do really good work. And it's my um, responsibility to um, navigate that work and to create direction and to create um, the support that they need to do their work in the best way possible. So it's, yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, the agency itself is, is just a beautiful space. Um, having uh, the community, being around the community, um, we had a round dance recently that was actually started with a ceremony with the, um, started with tobacco. Um, we did a traditional feast with traditional foods. Um, and then, you know, the first song in that round dance is a calling of the spirits. And so remembering that our ways of healing involve sound, vibrations, the drum, movement, dance, ceremony, tobacco, feasting, like all of those things that are who we are as Indigenous people um, is healing. And the feelings that we get when we're happy, when we feel good, that builds our immune system. And so um, to me, that was how I, I saw the round dance as something that was healing and beautiful. And so um, that is, you know, kind of the things that we want to be doing here at the agency. We want people in the building, in the space. We want to be doing um, something we'll be doing um, coming up, probably starting in April or May, is monthly um, monthly full moon ceremonies, monthly feasts and tobacco and water ceremonies, and providing access to the community for these things that many people don't know about and need to learn in safe places and need to learn, women need to learn from women. And providing that opportunity for women and their families is really important to me. I was going to ask because I've been to several uh, gatherings at the MIWRC, indoors, outdoors. Uh, so looking forward to you know, future events, uh, what might those look like if you start having those again? Hopefully there is feasting, there is, you know, prayer, Thanksgiving, and a lot of smiles, laughter, and happiness. Um, one thing that we do have coming up is we're going to have a mural that is going to be painted on the building, probably finished around mid-May, and we'll be doing kind of a grand reopening at that time. So, um, you know, feasting the community, hopefully it'll be nice enough to do outside. Um, a tobacco ceremony, a water ceremony, and then bringing um, some jingle dancers in uh, to provide that healing as well. So hopefully it looks like families that are together and children running around and eating and, you know, just enjoying what they're seeing and experiencing. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye? I'm just really um, grateful to be a part of this community and to see just the beauty and the history that this community has. Um, there's so much that radiates from this space that affects all of Indian country. And we just look to being a part of, um, you know, that visioning and, and part of that strategic change that impacts, impacts our people in the best way possible. So thank you. Yeah, thank you.
Thank great. You. Well, um, we'll keep in touch and have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Leah. You too. Take care. Bye. See you. Marissa Cummings is the president and CEO of the Minnesota Indian Women's Resource Center, a nonprofit organization committed to traditional ways of being and support of Native women and families. Also, chimigwage to our earlier guest, filmmaker and theater artist, Rihanna Yazi. Thank you both so much for sharing with us today. And thank you for listening today. Chimigwage. I remember playing blocks with my young kid precariously putting one block on top of another, making a house or a garage for toy cars. Sometimes those blocks would collapse and my kid would get upset. I would too, (laughs) maybe some tears. But together, we'd see how we could put together the blocks into something a bit stronger the next time around. Maybe build a stronger base to the structure. We're all learning. And the leaders I talked to today are learning, and with community support and many conversations, we can all try to build something stronger going forward. Till next time, gigawabamin, and I wish you health. I'm Leah Lem. Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.